Thank you for downloading the Focus on the Family Marriage Podcast. You can find more relationship insights at focusonthefamily.com slash marriage podcast. Well, hey, this is John Fuller, and the truth is our producer scripted the following line for me to open this podcast with. An uncomfortable truth is that Dina knows my faults better than anyone else. <laughs> and then he suggested I tell a short story. I'm just going to leave illustrate that one here. Your fault. Dina knows Why don't we get Dina faults. on the phone? No, no, no. She knows my faults better than anybody else in the world, and she still puts up with and loves me, and I am a blessed man. Um, I'm John, and along with me, we have Greg and Aaron Smalley. They're uh, the folks in charge of the marriage department here at Focus on the Family. And we're going to hear more from a conversation that Greg and Dr. Bob Paul had with Jim Daly and me discussing a book they co-authored called Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage. And they previously mentioned the first five lies on uh, other episodes of this podcast. Look for those. Right now, we're going to get into lies number six and seven. Let me hit a phrase and get your response before we move on to lie number seven, um, and that is irreconcilable differences. The courts kind of created this terminology, and you hear couples that are in a dark place use that phrase. Mm-hmm. We just have irreconcilable differences. I mean, you want to go, what? Everybody does. It's right. called being human. <laughs> but, you know, there are serious applications to that where the fighting is terrible, the disagreements over whatever it might be. But speak to irreconcilable differences. Why is that so damaging? Well, when you even look at the word, it means incapable of being brought into harmony. And huh. somehow exactly people... opposite of the gospel right. and what the Lord wants. Right. And that's so that's the goal. That's what they're yeah. trying to figure is how do we come into this harmony? And all we're saying is, listen, God created you on purpose, with purpose. Part of that purpose is that differences. That's how he made us. We are so different, and that's a beautiful thing. Differences are never the problem. That's the beauty. That's the gift. It's how you manage them. And utilize them. Yeah. Right. Well, in that context, this is always the perplexing idea that God, and you you know, you got to tread carefully, say, God, were you sure when you created marriage, you wanted to have opposites attract, which is like 80, 90% of the rule, right? But it also is the very thing that teaches us to be more like him. Well, it exposes the things where they need work. Nobody can expose my issues as effectively as Jenny. You know, when they bump, when the differences bump, you know, it really is where the opportunities is where God meets me and says, hey, you know, that little place you just saw there that's really not like me. Hey, if you and I could just kind of hang there for a little bit, I think we could get this to a better place. Yeah. And and I love that. Well, let's move to number seven. And uh, we're cooking now as we move into the last part of the program. Uh, Lie number seven is I'm going to make you love me. Uh, And that's the lie that if I just try hard enough, you'll see how wonderful I am. (laughs) Man, my heart goes out. I think this, it's definitely not necessarily a gender thing, but I could feel a lot of wives, particularly a lot of women have that desire because they want that bonding. They're, They're made for that bonding. And they're sitting there going, if I could just do things better, I'm sure he'll love me more. Why do you got to be careful with that? Well, the lie is, is that as long as we have love and as long as we are committed to each other for a lifetime, that's it. I mean, we've, we've got the necessary the ingredients to make a marriage work. And that's why when Aaron and I were early in our marriage and we so were struggling, well, we were as believers, we were going to church. We had lifelong commitment. We loved each other, and it wasn't working. It was so confusing. 
And then one day I finally began to understand there was something else that was so important. And I actually saw this in one of those little roly-poly bugs, you know, the ones that if you flick it, you know, this little bug will roll up into this tight little ball. What's interesting is that if you try to take that bug and pry it open, you'll kill it. And that's how God created our heart, is that when, when we don't feel safe in our marriage and we instantly, like that little bug, our heart rolls up. And what I began to understand with Aaron is that, yeah, we, we loved each other. We had lifelong commitment, but my wife felt so unsafe with me. The way that I was showing up, the way I was trying to get her to love me in certain ways made her feel so unsafe that she was like that little bug, so rolled up tight. Her heart was so tight, and it actually had begun to harden. And one of the things that, that I began to learn is that love is necessary, commitment is necessary, but Aaron and me both feeling safe. When we feel safe with each other, then our hearts open. Like that little bug, that bug will begin to open back up when it feels the threat is gone. And that's why I never knew that. I never understood how important the idea of feeling safe. How do we create a marriage that feels like one of the safest places on earth? That became the goal. And that began a very different relationship for Aaron and I. Now we started to work on how do we create safety within our marriage. And what we realized when we started presenting these ideas to the couples that we work with is that um, and how central this is. We basically say, if you can't remember anything yeah. that you hear this week, and except for one, if you can remember to make safety the center of the target, safety and security at the center of the target, because what actually happens to your point is that when people begin to truly feel deeply and profoundly safe and secure, we just always relax and open up. And when two hearts that are open, are in close proximity to each other, that intimacy and the connection we're longing for happens naturally. But when people feel unsafe and insecure, they're guarded. And there's something that hinders as a result the ability to truly connect in that way that our hearts are longing for. You know, Aaron, that was a really great conversation, and Greg shared that story about roly-polies, and I identify with that. I mean, let me just curl up and shield myself and be defensive. So uh, what are your insights about that? I use that analogy all the time as I work with couples, and I mean, I relate to that as well because when we get triggered, our hearts close just like that roly-poly because we do. We want to protect ourselves. We, we don't feel safe. And, you know, I always smile when I talk about the roly-poly because I remember Greg being outside with our daughter, who's 27 now, Taylor, when she was about three years old. And I walked out, he was outside with her, and I'm like, what is in her mouth? And she had taken a handful of roly-polies oh. and popped them in, and they were falling out. They and I was like, like pop rocks Greg, and he said something like, oh, it's just a little extra protein. <laughs> and so she uh, she loved the roly-poly. Imagine how unsafe those roly-polies yeah, felt. Say, they did not <laughs> They didn't that. make it. But you think about when our heart closes, we do not show up as our best selves. Mm. That we, when we're open, we are able to be understanding and caring and loving and kind. And in many ways, I just heard this analogy. Um, it's someone else's, but I'm just going to use it. That when, we, when we're triggered and our hearts are closed like that roly-poly, actually we're showing up as our adolescent self. 
that you think about when, how do you show up when your heart's closed, when you don't feel safe? Like a teenager, you know, we get critical, we, you know, maybe escalate or we withdraw and we pout. And... Emotional, pimply-faced. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's just recognizing yeah. in those moments, that is not who I, that's not who I am. Uh, and so it's, how do we move from that adolescent teenager chair mm -hmm. into the adult yeah. chair, that adult space. And really, it's just stepping out far enough from that, that adolescent viewpoint, soothing ourselves, getting moving ourselves and sliding ourselves towards that adult perspective, mm -hmm. that maybe something else is going on here. Maybe, you know, it's going to be okay. And you know, I can do this and getting our hearts back open. Last night, I walked into the house, Aaron was seeing clients. So I, I came home and our 13-year-old daughter was sitting at the counter, and Aaron had prepped me, going, "Hey, I'll you know I have a couple more clients. I'll see you, but hey, heads up, Annie is not in a good mood." And so when I walked in, she didn't even acknowledge me, and I walked up to her and I said, "Hey, how you doing?" And she's like, mm, "You know, kind of gave me that 13-year-old, <laughs> you know, angry response." And what is always so helpful for me personally about that analogy, the little roly-poly bug, is that as I'm looking at her, that's what I was envisioning. And what it helped me to do was to instantly go from, hey, that's disrespectful. No, you don't treat dad that way. Hey, that's rude. When I come home, you need to stand. You need to come greet me. Like, that's that's respectful. Yeah, you I'm need tracking. to stand and I, bow I would, and I'm curtsy. Feeling, yeah, I'm feeling a righteous judgment <laughs> like with that. you on that. So. Yeah, but... But honestly, I, I, I did envision, because Aaron had given me that heads up, which was very helpful. So, so I, I knew what I was going to find. But seeing her rolled up, shielded up, protected, something had gone on. And so instead of arguing with her, hey, you know, you need to, you know, you need to get in a better mood. You need to treat dad better. I just said, hey, I wonder if, if something happened today at school that really made you sad that maybe hurt your feelings. And I'd love to hear about that if you're wanting me to hear about it. And so I, I got no response. And so I just said, Hey, because you know what, you matter to me a lot and, and I really do care and I'm interested in whatever went on today. And slowly she started to reveal that a friend of hers had kind of teased her that this guy that Annie has a quote unquote crush on, doesn't like her at all. And so it just, it took Annie to a very bad place. Yeah. So beneath the hardened shell that we're seeing beneath all that protection and that shield is someone who is probably dealing with some deep hurt or maybe some fear. Yeah. And it was great for me just to visualize that because it, it allowed me just to be tender with her. And the more tender I was, the more willing she was to, to tell me about that. And then again, I've just learned because Aaron has helped me learn this over the years that I don't need to solve anything. I, I didn't need to say to Annie, hey, you're only 13. Come on. I mean, you know, you, it's not, what are you going to do? Date this guy yeah. anyway? Yeah, get over it. It's not a big deal. But instead, I, I just said to Annie, you know, man, I, I imagine that was really hurtful. And just stood by her. Um, the other day, she did tell me that when she's upset, not to hug her which is my mm -hmm. instinct. Yeah. And so I respected that. And I just came alongside her. I said, Hey, if you're open, I'd, I'd love to just give you a hug. And she's like, fine. <laughs> but, but it turned, and then, yeah, I think you were what, two hours kind of had back to back clients. Mm -hmm. So Aaron walked in 
just as we finished up. So that turned into a two-hour conversation about a 13-year-old and love life mm -hmm. and hurt and pain and all this. When I walked in, she walked right up to me and gave me a hug Yeah, because she was open. Well, those are great illustrations of this concept of closed heart, defensive posture, and um, the the kinds of things that we can expect to encounter when we're in our marriages, and to meet that yeah. with tenderness and, and, and to and care and yeah. compassion, and that that that's a game changer. Yeah, and also offering that same tenderness and care to your own heart mm. when yeah. it's closed, yeah. that you're checking on yourself, what's going on here, and tenderness instead of judgment. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, the book we talked about earlier and uh, that we've been addressing uh, the content of these past several episodes is Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage, written by Dr. Greg Smalley and Dr. Bob Paul. And uh, we'll send that to you if you can make a donation of any amount today, either a monthly pledge or a one-time gift. Uh, That'll be our thank you gift to you for partnering with us and allowing focus to be a tool of ministry. Uh, We help couples uh, day in, day out. We've got so much that we can offer in terms of resources, videos, um, articles, uh, books, marriage intensives at Hope Restored. It's a lot that we offer marriages, and uh, we invite you to be part of it by donating today. And if you need some help, if you're feeling like um, we're both roly-polies here, we cannot open our hearts up. We don't know what the next step is, but it doesn't feel good. Give us a call. Uh, We'll tell you more about Hope Restored and uh, things that might make a difference for you, um, a long-term difference for you. So uh, get in touch with us. Our number is 800-A-FAMILY or all the details about donating, getting the book, and our Hope Restored marriage intensives. It's all in the show notes. Well, next time we'll hear about working through money struggles as a couple. Jeff and Shanti Feldhahn will be uh, talking about that. For now, on behalf of Greg and Aaron Smalley and the rest of the team, I'm John Fuller, and thanks for listening to the Focus on the Family Marriage Podcast.